Hi, welcome to the Freudcast. I'm Matt Barbet. Mars is a big business with big numbers. 135,000 associates, dozens of brands we all know, and revenues of $40 billion a year mean it has a global footprint, and that comes with a sizable responsibility too. It has an important role to play in addressing the issues that we're all facing, from climate change to human rights to societal health and well-being. In his role as Vice President of Corporate Affairs and Sustainability at Mars, Andy Farrow is the person in charge of all of that. For this episode, he spoke to Freud's Laura Round, beginning with how he joined the company over a decade ago. Yeah, so I, I've been at Mars. Um, oh, it, it's, a, it, it's hard to preside, decide exactly when I joined Mars, and it depends how you count it. But I joined Mars either um, at the beginning of 2008 or on October the 6th, 2008, because in truth, I joined Wrigley um, at the beginning of 2008, and then Wrigley was acquired by Mars, um, essentially on the 6th of October 2008. And so I, I probably count being at Mars since I started with Wrigley, but uh, but I, actually, I, I never, I've never, never applied for a job at Mars. And I applied for a job for a job at Wrigley. Um, the and, and if you sort of my, on my career in, in briefly, my my career has had really had sort of I, I think I would say three distinct chunks. Um, it started off working in politics in the UK. Um, that was the first chunk. The second chunk was I worked for a, a PR agency. Um, and I worked for the same PR agency for 13 years, which, you know, I think PR agency lifetime is a is a very long time. It's a bit like dog years. I think you multiply it by seven. Uh, and so I, so I kind of I kind of left as an older statesman in my mid 40s. Uh, and, and, and since then, I've been at Mars. And so Mars is very much the, the third chunk of my career. My, my role is, I mean, I, I lead corporate affairs um, across the company globally and corporate affairs, Mars has quite a broad definition of it. So it's it, it's really it's really any communications that we do. So it, it, would, it would include, I mean, it includes our corporate brand, includes government relations, it includes internal, external uh, uh, communications uh, um, and 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 also as part of that, and obviously as a family owned company, it includes sort of family communications, uh, which is particularly important because the Mars family are in fact our owners. Um, then the, 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 the second half of my, my role is um, I, I, I steward sustainability uh, for the organization. So I'm, I'm the person on the, on the leadership team with the sustainability responsibility. Um, we have a chief sustainability officer, uh, Barry Parkin, who also leads our procurement function. We call it commercial. Um, and so, I, so essentially, I work with him and the sustainability teams, both at the centre and in the segments. We organise ourselves in a number of operating businesses to really move forward our, our sustainability agenda and really hardwire it into how we do business. Well, that is an awful lot, Andy, and that is um, that's really interesting. Looking at the past year, which has been just for everyone the most extraordinary year. How has Mars responded to the COVID nineteen pandemic, and how is the business doing? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I mean, there was no playbook for 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 what we've lived through. I mean, none of us were around in nineteen eighteen um, uh, when there was the last really truly global pandemic, and the, and the world in nineteen eighteen was was a very different world. I mean, the way the way that we've really led through through COVID has been really a very strong principle based approach. 
And we said right at the outset, we would have three priorities. Number one was to protect the, the, the health and safety of our, our, our employees. We call them associates. The second one was to do our part to stop the spread of the virus. And then the third one was um, to maintain business continuity because the, the, the products and services we produce um, have, are, are, are important to consumers. Um, and they're also, in a, in, in, given that we, we are the world's largest employer of veterinarians, for example, and we are that we feed around half the world's pets. You know, it's actually critical for the for that the health and well-being of an awful lot of pets. So, so keeping keeping running safely was critical throughout that. And we really used those three principles and our purpose, which is the world we want tomorrow. It starts with how we do business today. Um, we really used that to, to guide all our decision making. Um, and in many cases, we use that when there was a, a lack of information or it wasn't clear what you should do. Um, you know, we just sort of said, well, you know, how does this reflect the world we want tomorrow? So, for example, our decision not to take government support. There were a number of places where we would have been able to take government support. We decided not to. We didn't think it was right for us to do that. You know, legally, we're not responsible for contractors uh, in our in our workforce, yet we wanted to treat them in the same way as we treated our own associates. And we, we just really use that as, 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 the, as the theme throughout. Uh, and often actually our CEO actually, when you had imperfect information, you didn't know. And at the beginning of COVID, you didn't really necessarily trust what regulators were saying because it had become very political. You know, we, we'd always viewed the CDC, for example, as the gold standard, uh, but, you started to see early on the CDC taking what we thought were not science-based decisions. They were actually quite political decisions. And so, you know, so, you know, so for example, we put in place a global travel ban and really was it before, you know, the CDC was saying that. And we were, we were things where we said, you know what, we're going to have to make those calls. And, and so I think what you, you know, we've lived through a, a period when Lots of companies have got purpose statements, they've got mission statements, they've got values and principles. And I think you have seen over the past 18 months the extent to which those are words on a wall or they're the reality of how you, you know, how you ran the business. And we've had a, a number of places where, you know, for example, I mean, a very good example would be veterinary care where, you know, you know, your, in a, if you run a hospital, your biggest cost is, is, is the stuff. Is the associates. I mean, that, that that's you know that's your biggest that's your biggest cost. You know, we 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 saw demand was was down. We didn't probably need the number of people we had, but we took a decision that we were not going to um, lay anybody off. We were not going to cut people's hours. Uh, you know, we had a you know, very clear commitment against that. Um, and so and so essentially, we were we were we were running in a not an ideal way for a for a, for a people based business. Um, in that thing from a, from a financial perspective. What then happened was that when suddenly, suddenly you know, people are at home with their pets more, they see um, more issues that pets have. They, you saw a lot of pets being adopted through COVID. Um, and you saw that, you know, some of the some of veterinary businesses didn't take the same approach we did. They looked to cut costs and they only looked to, to lay people off. And suddenly when there was an uptick in demand, we were one of the few people who could actually meet it. Because you know, we had people there who were who were ready to do it, and we'd also managed to introduce, you know, curbside pickup of pets so that you 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 kept 
you, you know you kept owners out of meeting other owners in, in waiting rooms so so from um from a, we saw things where we took a purely principle based decision it's the only reason you know you were saying okay this is going to cost us 50 million mm. actually it was in the, at the end of, by the end of the year it become a fantastic business decision but that wasn't you know what wasn't why it was made so i th- i would say you know the thing you know we have lost people to, to covid you would expect as a, you know we operate in 80 countries we have 135,000 associates um uh, you know we but uh, the, the numbers that we have seen uh mean that that we we have been far our associates have been far less affected than the population as a whole in the countries that they live in and uh, and we haven't noticed any case where COVID has been transmitted in the workplace. It's all been about community transition. So we feel actually very good that we have kept our associates safe. We've kept our business running. We've been very principled through that. And then we asked our associates, how did they feel we responded? And 90, over 90% of them said they, they saw our purpose really coming to the fore. They saw it really as a purposeful response. And you know that, that, that's a very good thing to see. That's a that's a great thing. Now, through that answer, the the word purpose resonates very strongly, and it's clearly very important to the core of your business, and that has translated into your reputation as a company, because Mars is known to be a principles led business guided by that strong purpose. So, tell us a bit more about how Mars brings it to life. I mean, you've given us some examples already, but but what else are you are you doing to make sure that purpose? Runs yeah, I mean, it, the core. You're, you're right in saying that the, the, the principles have been very important to Mars. And in fact, you know, back in the 1940s, the owner of the company, and at the time there was a, effectively a single owner of the company, said the purpose of the company is to create a mutuality of benefits. And then he listed a whole range of what we would now call stakeholders. Uh, he actually included that in competitors. You know, he he believed that we, we you know, that, that that we wanted to create categories and industries where everyone could thrive and benefit from them. That the family then, and his three children really then codified that, codified the way we did business into into the five principles of Mars, um, and they codified that in in the in the early 1980s, and. From that period onwards, I mean, if anyone who's worked with anyone from Mars, you'll, you'll see them, the principles we use to make business decisions. I, I, I vividly remember when I, I mentioned earlier that I'd come across from Wrigley. Um, and at that point, Wrigley marketed to children. It, you know, it thought it was it was perfectly okay to market to children over six. Didn't, they didn't have a view or that, that they shouldn't do it. Mars didn't market to children um, under, under, under 12. And so I was given the job of adopting the marketing code for Wrigley and getting Wrigley to to, to adopt it. And uh, and you know chewing gum, particularly and particularly bubble gum, is quite you know is quite a young you know people tend to chew, you don't find many people in their forties chewing bubble gum. Uh, you know, you find quite a few people in their in their teens and younger chewing bubble gum, and so this was, you know, so this was seen from a Wrigley point of view. Well, you know, why on earth would we do that? You know, why, why? Yeah. Um, and so I was given the job of trying to persuade our regional presidents that this was a good thing, and how would we introduce it over what time? And and I went to and I thought, oh, well, Mars must have looked at this before. There must have been someone who's who's you know 
looked at it and they've looked at the economics of it. So, so I, I spoke to the, the the brand director, I suppose it was, of Milky of Milky Way in the UK, and and um, and Milky Way had a kids product called Milky Way Stars. Uh, I'm not sure if we still have them or not, to be honest. But um, but I as a as a parent growing up in the UK, I knew these products. You know, I, I knew my kids had had them. So I so I, I, sp- I spoke to this guy and said, Look, oh, no. You know, what, you know, kind of what, you know, what did you, you know, what did you do, and how did you persuade, and what, you know, what did you look at the impact on your business, da, 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 da. and and he said to me, oh no, 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 we used to decide it was the right thing to do, so we did it, and so and so you had a a, a fundamentally principled decision that was taken actually without any financial spreadsheets. It was just simply, we think this is the right thing to do. We're doing it. Fast forward to to sort of me coming into the role into this current role into sort of 2016 um, and we were doing a lot of work with our board and the board was saying look the principles are fantastic they're core to how we do business but you have to experience the principles just to, to, to come to practice and, and just having a list of things saying we've got principles we've got five principles if you go to people externally and say we've got five principles well most people have got principles some people say well actually i've got six is that better than your five? Um, and it was, and so our challenge was to say, actually, the problem with the principles is they are the feature, they're not the benefit. And so our, our task was to, to say, okay, if we, if we want to articulate the benefit of Mars and the direction we're taking, can we do that through a purpose? And do that through a purpose um, where you had a number of things I think were quite complex. The first one, you know, is that Mars is family owned and the name of the company is still the name of many family members. And so, you know, you have Marses. I work with Marses. Uh, I actually have a, a Mars that reports to me, believe it or not. Um, uh, uh, so, so you know, so anything you do about the company that has to be something that they reflect, because in some ways it's a personal reflection of them. The second one is that we've got five principles, and it would have been quite easy to say, let's take one of those principles, perhaps the mutuality principles, one of them I talked about at the beginning. But their belief on the five principles is you could pick one up and say, look, I'm really going to focus on that. But their belief on the principles were, that, and our belief is you have to use them all. They're, they have a tension between them. The efficient thing to do sometimes isn't the mutual thing to do. Mm. You know, sometimes the mutual thing to do. And how do you how do you balance them? And so we we went through a process of um, of getting to the family to align on 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 what's the benefit of Mars. And there were really three things that everybody knew that made Mars unique. It was long term focus, so we focus in generation, not quarters. Um, it was family ownership. Um, you know uh, that uh, that and and it was principles based and, and we essentially came up came up with the purpose of the world we want tomorrow starts with how we do business today, which requires us to have a view of the world we want tomorrow, but have a commitment to each and every day make a difference mm-hmm. to it and how we do business is through the five principles. So so essentially that purpose was articulated. We sort of we sort of work with the family over sort of. 17 and 18 we launched internally towards the end of 18 externally to, towards at the beginning of 19 and i think at that point there were lots of people saying well okay we've got a purpose but you know how you know is it you know is it are we really is everything we're doing is it really contributing to living it, 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 it having seen how we responded through covid nobody asked that question anymore yeah 
Now, you mentioned that one of the many things that you're responsible for is sustainability. And you also, as a company, do a lot around sustainable development goals. But in particular, your sustainable in a generation plan is a major driver of the business. So how did that plan come together and how is Mars leveraging its operations, value chain and products to really advance its goals to protect the planet? Yeah, I mean, it it, it is very important and sustainability is incredibly important to the family uh, across uh, across generations. In fact, we just held held a few weeks ago a shareholder meeting uh, with the family members and sustainability was probably one of the areas where there was the most questioning about, you know, you know, what are we doing? How fast are we going? Can we go faster? And those kind of things. So it's, it, it matters to them. Um, and it's always mattered to them. In fact, we set our first sustainable and generation plan in 2008, but it was only internally focused. Um, we didn't communicate it externally. And we actually set a net zero goal at that point for our direct operations. Wow. Um, uh, and we said by 2040, we wanted essentially to be carbon carbon neutral in our in our in our operations. Um, you know, fast forward, and we'd set a bunch of interim targets for sort of 2015 and things like that. And um, some of those were good targets. Some of them actually we discovered weren't the right targets. We had targets on water use. Actually, you know, water use in itself is is not inherently wrong. It's how you use it and where you use it. Now, water use in water stress areas is a different issue to having a, a, a factory that literally sits on the Rhine and takes water in from the Rhine and returns it to the Rhine cleaner. You know, that's not a, that's not an issue. is isn't, isn't a water stress issue. So we, we, we had these sort of interim targets and we started to think, well, OK, what should our longer term approach be? What, 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 what should we do more broadly? And we start, we did a very detailed thing of mapping. Um, and what we what we found that was that our direct operation targets were fantastic, but they only were about six percent of our footprint. And we we discovered that our carbon footprint, for instance, for instance, was the size of a small country. Um, it was a you know it was equivalent to the country of Panama. Now it's not the biggest country in the world, but but it but it's a it's a it's a country nonetheless. And so we we started to we essentially started looking through you know particularly it's really raw material by raw material and saying, okay, you know, what are the big impacts of those? Um, what are the big impacts on environments, you know, on land use, on water? What are the big impacts on human rights? Where is there a poverty? Where is there child labor, et cetera? And we set a series of targets and we essentially set some targets around um, a healthy planet uh, where we were setting our targets are based around the Paris Agreement based around no more than the two degree rise. We set targets, um, we take targets for water and land use and other things as part of that. We set targets around um, making a difference to a million people in our extended supply chain. And we then set targets around nourishing uh, well-being and what we could do on food safety and a whole range of things. And so, and what we did for the first time is we shared that externally. And we shared it externally for a couple of reasons. The, The first was that the it part we, we we committed to invest a billion in this and but we've already spent the billion um and we are continuing we're continuing to spend um uh we spend on it significantly we probably we probably double we're doubling what we spend on sustainability but but part of the business case for doing this was that 
you actually wanted to make Mars a more attractive place for people to work. You know, so there was that we thought, you know, so okay, let's look, you know, can you know, can can we get better talent for it? So there was a business yeah. case around. The other thing was that our recognition is that you you can never achieve these things on your own. Um, you need to build coalitions of action. And so you and to build a coalition of action, you need to go out there and say, you know what, this is an issue, this is what we're doing about it. Come and come and join us. And 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 and, and particularly when you're dealing with your extended supply chain. So they, so it so it very much was part of that in terms of you know, getting getting other people involved. And I think also, I think the final thing was, honestly, if you can't find your voice on an issue like climate change, what are you going to find it on? You know, it's, you know it, is the, it is the biggest meta issue facing the world. And, you know, business has a big role in it. And so about finding your voice, how do you see communications fitting into driving sustainability efforts? Um, you know, it, it's really, I think, just building on from the, the, the points I made is that you've got, you, you've, it, it, it's a clearly a core part of our brand and it's a core part of how we communicate to corporately. It's also increasingly in some of our consumer brands being part of the way that we, we connect. So we, we, for instance, our, our Shiba brand is doing a big project on coral reef restoration. Uh, and so and so that you're, you're seeing that and that's part of a way of, you know, connecting with consumers, helping the brand stand out while at the same time making a real difference, um, a difference on, the, on this issue on, to the, on the actual restoration of coral reefs, which I think everyone would agree is an important thing to do. So so it, it plays that role. I think the, the the second role that it plays is really just driving action, because as I said, only 5% of our carbon footprint is, is within our four walls. You know, how do you get action on the 95%? Well, we can't do that alone. Um, and so, you know, so, the, so communications is critical to, you know, to encourage, bring people on board, in some cases, put pressure on people to do things and, and try to raise the bar. You know, so that because we, for example, as a company, take a we're taking a bunch of costs because we are taking sustainability seriously. You know, and so to some extent, you you know, it means we might have a bit less money to spend on some some advertising, for example. And so also part of you know talking about things is is trying to raise the bar of what an expectation of a company is, so we get others to move with us. And so measuring success is obviously important. You introduced the Mars Compass in 2018. Can you just briefly explain what this is and how it guides both strategy and your decision-making within the company? Yeah, I mean, you can see the Mars Compass on our website if you if people want to see more on it. But it came actually from the family. Um, and the family was saying, in how, how can we, how should we set targets for the business that articulate what we as a family want to see. And as the family, you know, gets bigger in terms of number of people, it, it, it becomes less about, okay, you've got three people and you just need to have a discussion with three people and you can work out what you want to do. You, you know, you've got the, the sort of the, the, you've got generation four of the family is 10 people. And the, if you then, when you think of their children, you know, it's a third of like 20. And so it was, they came together and said, look, let's set some targets uh, for the business about what we expect the company we own to do. And it was very clear to them as soon as they started doing it, they couldn't just set targets about the financial. And so for us, an iterative process, probably about a year or so, the Mars Compass was developed. And it, it, it has four quadrants. The purpose sits at the center of it, and it has four quadrants. The first one is about financial performance, which very much focuses on 
long-term financial performance, three years, 10 years, you know, and it's really, it's really to say, show to them that actually this is a good place for their money to be invested. You know, this is a, you're getting a decent return from it, you know, um, the second, but the second one is around quality of growth. Um, it's another financial metric. It really looks at how pos- well positioned we are for future success because financial performance is inherently backward looking. It, it only tells you what you did last year. It doesn't tell you what you're going to do next year. And so we have we're essentially a forward looking, which looks at really how well positioned we think we are in some ways of measuring that. We then have a quadrant around positive societal impact. And positive societal impact is really some hero metrics taken from our sustainable generation plan. So we have a carbon metric in it, in the positive impact as an owner objective. We also have a, a thriving people measure that, to make a difference to million people in our, in our extended supply chain. So we have both of those in as positive impact. And then the, the final quadrant is trusted partner. Are we a trusted partner in society? And we actually use corporate reputation as a proxy for that. So we measure our reputation in 12 countries around the world as part of that. We also have a, a metric around the trust that our associates have with us. And though, and essentially, so those four things are the Mars Compass. We, you know, we report on them annually to the family. We have a we have a compass report that looks very much like a like a, a public company shareholder report. The only difference is it goes to like 40 people. Uh, and that's it. Um, and the the compass is then embedded into the enterprise strategy. So each of the each of the business units, you know, you know, have essentially things that come out of the compass, which is embedded into their business strategy. It's then embedded into the financial planning cycle. So we've just at the, we're just at the moment going through our next three-year financial planning. And within that, we're, we're looking against all aspects of the world, not all. Like we're, not, we're not so much on reputation um, in terms of how you factor that in as terms of what the investments, but say on sustainability, we're saying, okay, so what, what are the investment plans on carbon? What are the investment plans on plastic packaging and things like that? And, you know, you know, what's your, what's your plans across the whole compass? And it's an embedded into that. And the compass is also embedded into senior leader remuneration. Um, so, so it, so it's part of say our top 300 leaders are, are, are incentivized against all aspects of the compass. You know, um, which is you know, is that's that's quite advanced, and it, it's you know, yeah. you know, we're in early days of it. We're only in our second year. We're only in our second year of doing it. I think we'd like to see that happen more broadly. Uh, and I, I think, in general, as I, as I look at sustainability, I mean, I think it, in the end, the core objective would be for the sustainability department to no longer exist, in the sense that it's so embedded into how you just do business. Yeah, I think a good example here is often with HR is that there was a time where the HR function in many companies had every discussion with every employee. Everything was handled by HR. Now, that's not the way you do business. Now you actually say, look, you know, line managers have a critical role. And I would see the same on sustainability. There's always going to need to be a governance role that, you know, we need to measure where we are. We're going to make sure we keep on track. But fundamentally, you actually just want it being a core part of how you, you know how you do business. That's a very interesting statement. Moving to a different topic, given the racial awakening of the past year, made apparent by the need for movements like Black Lives Matter, 
and most recently, the increase in crimes against the AAPI community. Companies are having to look both internally, but also externally at how they are addressing these issues. So what does that look like at Mars? I mean, I mean, it's obviously, it's been it's been a huge issue, um, and I think awakening is the uh, is the right word because when when you when I when I speak to black colleagues, yeah, you know, they 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 say, well, this has been going on for years. You know, all that's happened now is that people are noticing it more. Um, for for us, there are a couple of things. I think it, it has to start from the inside. You know, you have to start from, and as a global company, you also have to recognize that it does it that it, it looks different in different countries, and your ability even to measure it is different in different countries. Uh, you know, in some countries, you're, it's illegal actually to record, you know, the racial makeup of your workforce. Yeah, I mean, you can understand that, given what happened in in Europe in the 30s and 40s, you can understand why a number of countries don't want to go down uh, uh, go down down that route. Um, but for for us, there were, you know, I would say there's probably two kind of landmark things. I think we did three, maybe three landmark things. The first of all is, you know, we had a brand at Uncle Ben's, um, and we we took a decision that that was just that was that was not appropriate for the modern world, and so we took a, a decision to essentially change the name of that brand globally and to do that quickly. And that that's that's a big decision to make. That brand's been around since the 40s. Uh, it's a global brand. It's a very successful brand. So this wasn't some little niche thing that was easy. You know, you know, it's very material to the success of our food business. Uh, it's very material to the success of a, a small town of Greenville, Mississippi, where in the US it's made. So, so we made the decision that we we're going to make a change. Why we're we going to make a change? We explained it. Um, it split every demographic, by the way. Every demographic was split on whether, whether what was it the right thing to do. Um, you, you pick them. It was the, everyone was split, uh, but we decided it was the right thing to do. So we, we made a change, and that was quite a visible, I think, outward sign. Yes, that was. Internally, we did we did a lot of listening to our associates. We had a lot of uh, you know associate listening sessions, and um, we uh, we we'd been doing work around gender and gender equality, and, and we were we were pretty close to setting targets around gender representation on leadership teams. And so we, we added into that the element, uh, added into that the, the racial element, and essentially to have, have set a series of targets, um, both for our senior leadership community, and then very specifically in the US, where you, you can set targets and you can measure it. You know, we've set targets for, for increased representation for, um, throughout, throughout our management ranks. Um, uh, so, so, so we, and we, we kind of we shared that internally quite a lot. We've shared it a little bit externally. Uh, but we, we 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 weren't really seeking externally to to say, look at us, aren't we wonderful? Aren't we perfect? Because clearly we're not. You know, the world we want to run starts with how we do business today. It, it it implies that how we do business today is not the world we want tomorrow. It implies a lack of perfection. It implies and it, and it implies the need for progress. And so that's very much what we've done. Just looking to later this year, COP twenty six. We are, as we're all referring to it, on the road to COP. What is front of mind for Mars? I mean, I think front of front of mind for us. I mean, it, it, it is of course it, it, it's climate, and it and it's of course um, how do you get the right targets set, um, and how do you get how do you get practical delivery against them? You know, I do have a worry on the road to COP. Everything everybody's making everything about net zero. 
Um, but one, people are defining it very differently um, in different ways. You know, does it apply to your whole extended supply chain or not? Um, mm -hmm. um, and I think, and I think the other thing is that you know people are talking about 2040, 2050. I mean, the reality is, you know, I'm not going to be in my position in 2040 or 2050. You know, no what? You know, probably nobody leading a, having a leading position in any company today is likely to be there. And so it's very easy to set these long-term targets, but really what matters most is what you're going to do in 2025, what you're going to do in 2030, what you're going to do in, 20, in 2035. And so I, th I think the, need, the, the, the focus needs to slightly change, to be less about what people say they're going to be in 2040 or 2050, and much more about um, the, the near term. And I think there is a danger that a, that, that, that net zero commitments will amount to net nothing if they don't make action in the short term. That's really interesting and a very powerful statement, Andy. Um, that's great. Now, as a final question, what would your call to action be for other businesses who want to do more purposeful work? I think it, I think it starts with understanding your business, understanding your supply chain and understanding your uh, impacts. Uh, and if you don't know about that, it really means you don't care. Uh, so, so I think, you, you know, and, and so I think, so I think the, the critical thing is understanding, you know, where you fit in, you, where are the choices that you're going to make? You know, we're part, we, you know, we buy many raw materials. We're prioritizing 10 of them. Because, you know, it's the kind of 80-20 rule. We're saying, you know what, we're, we're going to deal with any, any raw material. If we can find a human rights issue in it, absolutely, will we go after it? Will we try to change it? But proactively, we, you know, we were focused on, on, on a big 10. We're very, we've got some very clear targets that we want to make. They're embedded into how we do business. They're embedded into our financial planning. They're embedded into our remuneration. So, 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 my, my, you know, so really, I think it's about understanding your impact, having a point of view on what you want to change over what time scale. And that means you have to be prepared to talk about things that are really difficult. I mean, who really wants to talk about poverty? You, nobody wants to. Who wants to talk about child labor? Nobody wants to talk about those things. But the, but the reality in they exist in the world and they exist in extended supply chains. So how do you get progress against them? And then I think you, then everything you do then just needs to be embedded into how you do business. It can't just be the... The responsibility of the CSR department or the sustainability department. You know, it needs to be front and centre on the CFO agenda, on the the head of supply chain agenda, on the on the CMO agenda, and all of those kind of things. So, I think for me, that's what it's about. And purposeful work matters, but it only work matters if it's if you're living in truth. So, you know, you so the purpose has to be about what you do and a lot less about what you say. And yet, if you're doing great things, by all means, have a purpose and communicate it broadly and get the benefits that you'll get from that. But it must be based on reality and, uh, and honesty. Andy, thank you so much for sharing all these amazing insights and for joining the Freudcast. Thank you. Thanks to Andy and to Laura and to you for listening as well. There are dozens of other Freudcasts to listen to on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud. So do take a look. Until next time, bye for now. <laughs>